Vox Quick Hits. All right, I'm recording. You're recording? Okay, great. Let me have you say your name and how you want us to identify you on the show. Sure. I'm uh, Patrick Blanchfield. Pat is fine. Uh, I'm an associate faculty member at the Brooklyn Institute for Social Research. I live in Pennsylvania, though. And uh, uh, I'm a journalist and academic. I have a book coming out from Verso uh, called Gun Power, The Structure of American Violence. And that's going to be out this winter, which winter may actually be early 2022. It's, 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 winter 2021 is a strange unit of time that apparently is not reducible to the calendar. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell people to, to try and find the book when it's out. Thanks, yeah. Okay, so Pat, Jennifer, our guest in the first half of the show, she's a reporter at The Trace. She just said that federal gun control is probably dead in the water, despite all the attention it's getting right now. Instead, it's pretty much on the states, so this country is doomed to live in this patchwork of of gun control and legislation. Are we doomed as well to live in this perpetual cycle of shooting, clamoring for action, marches for our lives, and then inaction forever. If, if, we, if we want to bet on structural inertia and like the, the well-channeled pathways by which outrage, trauma, and exhaustion sort of flow downhill on this kind of mountain that we built for ourselves, then the answer would be yes, we are quote-unquote doomed. But I would also say that part of what I think the task for people who, who care about these issues in a sustainable way and also for people who are brought into them by these sort of regular exceptional traumas to do is to think about how we sort of built a kind of trap where the only thing that seems possible is the doom scenario. And and that trap is like the frame of the current gun control debate. And I think if we sidestep that, there are some possibilities, but we have to both be very um, granular about what we want and what we want to see happen, right? Both affectively and practically. Is the trap the Second Amendment or is the trap the gun control debate. Which one are you talking about here? I think those two things are fundamentally related, right? So like part of my work is is historical in, in, in orientation. And if you look at sort of the history of the discourse about the Second Amendment, this only really exists from the 1950s and 60s onwards. Like if you were to search a law journal for articles about the Second Amendment, like constitutional law journals prior to like the early 60s, you don't find a lot about it. And hell, like the NRA, which is like the iconic organization for like gatekeeping a lot of these debates, doesn't talk about the Second Amendment much at all until the 1960s. If you ask someone if they believe in the Second Amendment now, or if they're pro-gun control, right, or what do they think about gun control, these are like these tags that they activate a whole set of meanings, and they feel like they're eternal organizing features of our politics. But they aren't. So like, there's a way in which, and it's sort of a grim thing to say, the phrase gun control only emerges because it works for, quote unquote, both sides of the gun debate as we understand it. But that's a false horizon of possibility. Like those two sides aren't the only ways of breaking down the various issues that are gun violence. I mean, it kind of reminds me of pro-life, pro-choice, which are terms that it seems like no one's fully happy with on either side. What are the ways to reframe effectively this so-called gun control debate? That cycle of gloom and doom and outrage and event, et cetera, right? If you put it within the broader perspective of both gun violence more broadly in this country, which, uh, and also against the broader backdrop of other types of violence, you can possibly arrive at solutions or interventions that uh, mitigate or in some cases outright prevent gun violence, But that oftentimes means not even talking about guns. It means doing public health interventions or policy interventions that 
result in situations changing before guns even enter the picture, either like in the situations themselves or in how we frame them in media and politics. What are you talking about? Like, like mental health? Well, I mean, par- part of it, and it's very difficult because every map of these conversations has been mapped out. There's this constant shell game of what's causing the violence. If instead of talking about like gun control as a possibility or even gun reform, we just look at gun violence, right? We see that exposure to v- gun violence reflects other kinds of vulnerability in our society. And COVID underscores this too. It's not like mass shootings went away. They've went up there because they always happen in homes. Most American mass shootings happen in homes. But like the people who are most likely to be, to wind up at the end of a fatal gunshot or injury, that tracks to their acute categories of vulnerability, whether it's white men as they get older and face bankruptcy and medical issues, their increasing likelihood to commit suicide whether it, it's uh, women in already situations of high risk of abuse and who can't, who can't either leave or have other options from the state, right? They're more likely to be victims of intimate partner violence, whether it's uh, police shootings, right? Whether it's like inner city gang violence, right? So to speak, or rather retaliatory violence between youth groups. That tracks to things like the you know, criminal black markets or the lack of job opportunities. And mass shootings themselves, like the mentally ill are far more likely to be victims of violence, right? Than they are to perpetrate it. And there's no definitive way, nor I think will there ever be to predict who is violent in what situations. The reason people shoot one another and shoot themselves is because they're miserable and because shooting themselves or shooting other people is a live, imaginable option that seems better than the other ones at the time. And I think that if you give people, if life is less miserable for everybody, and if people have other options before that, then shooting people and shooting yourself becomes less of a live option. And, and to be granular about this, like, look, gunshot fatality from homicides in urban settings directly reflects the lack of hospital care in those spaces. When you put a gunshot trauma ward in a community that's driven by gun violence, deaths go down. Now, that's not gun control policy, but that directly saves lives. So investing in hospitals saves lives. By the same token, as people grow older and they face bankruptcy and they don't have anyone to talk to, they're more likely to kill themselves. But imagine if like growing older wasn't a race between your deciding which is going to last, like hold out longer, your body or your bank account, or if you had regularly someone to talk to. And so there's some way in which like, look, if we had universal single pale health care and people were able to talk, like get mental health care, their lives would be less miserable and certain options would seem less inevitable or present. So is the argument you're making here that instead of always focusing on on this binary of gun rights and gun control and being stuck in this sort of third rail of American politics, we can't touch the Second Amendment mindset that we have been for whatever, decades. It would be more effective and even more practical to just try and solve all the other problems we have. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that gun violence is a tip of an iceberg for broader systems of ways in which people are made miserable and disposable and other types of violence. And the, the historical reality of what the gun control debate is, is that for the right wing, on the one hand, it's a way of doubling down on certain types of racial cultural politics and certain types of vigilante violence and the arms trade. And for the liberal gun control movement, you know, historically speaking, and certainly for Joe Biden, it's a way to uh, fundraise and raise money and arm police. So, right, so the answers are either more guns in civilian hands for the right or more guns to the police 
on, uh, you know, for liberals. Do you think do you think Joe Biden would find that assessment reductive? I mean, I don't really care what he would would personally think, but you can read his platform. I mean, you could read his, his advocacy in the in the late 80s. Like there are multiple gun control measures that are proposed by Republican presidents. Right. Like or hell, even like George W. H. W. Bush, like Joe Biden leads the cadre of, of, of tough on crime Democrats that actually come back with asking for twice as much money for police. He's made no secret that his his approach to a lot of these things are gun bans and more money for community policing, which is more of the same. And again, like, I don't think more people with guns or like, quote unquote, the right people with guns, particularly given what our police look like in this country and their problems with violence are a solution to gun violence. It's just throwing more gun violence at gun violence. Like, so the question is like, really, when an act of outrage happens, like an outrage, outrageous mass shooting event, people want to do something that is dramatic and that makes them feel as vindicated as the horror just made them feel horrified, right? Or traumatized or outraged. And what that essentially produces is this kind of both burnout, but this thirst for grand policy interventions that will substantively yield dramatic changes and or see the ATF kicking down doors or more cops, who knows? But the the way our inertia works in this country is that that gets channeled to repression. That gets channeled to people serving mandatory minimums for gun possession. It, it It gets channeled to all this type of stuff. And we have the empirics on it. We know it. And it's a trap that we've built for ourselves in terms of policy and in terms of psychology. And I think that if we're looking for like one-liners or like easy ways to deal with this, like we're not going to find it. But I also think that we need to be like attuned to the fact that these mass shooting events represent broader systems of ways in which we abuse and treat people like objects. And if we just did a little bit less of that, if we just tried it, I mean, why not? It's weird that we're, and I'm not putting this on you, I'm thinking about this as something I see and I feel myself sometimes, that it's easier for us to resign ourselves to doing the same thing over and over again and accepting doom than it is to do something that might be very different but not hit the same, like, dopamine rewards or feelings of vindication. That was an excerpt of Today Explained. To hear the whole enchilada and others like it, check out Today Explained wherever you check out your podcasts. 